covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Another week's worth of Brewers talk as spring training is continuing on. Some interesting things have happened. We're getting to the point now where things happening in games maybe feel like they carry uh, maybe it carries a little bit more weight in terms of uh, what we're going to see from individuals moving forward. Still a lot of time left in the spring, and we still have a fair amount of time before uh, opening day as well. But uh, certainly a lot of fun to see everything that's going on. Before we go any further, I do want to take care of our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. Uh, if you would uh, like to get in contact with me, best way to do so is by tweeting at me. Find me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Also want to say uh, hello to everybody who is listening to us on 540 ESPN as part of uh, Doug Russell's Pod Center. Runs his podcast uh, every week uh, on that, so hello to you if you're listening uh, on that. And uh, also, if you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, and uh, want to subscribe and also leave a ranking and review, that would be very, very much appreciated. On the podcast this week, Tim Muma is going to join us, uh, contributor over at Brew Crew Ball, one of our uh, Brew Crew Ball folks that we enjoy being able to talk to. Tim is going to be with us in just a few moments. As I open up the podcast, and I'll get into this as well with uh, Tim Muma when he joins us coming up in uh, just a little while, uh, I want to get into the contract that Freddie Peralta signed this past week. And... Uh, this is one of those where I- I'm really, first off, I'm really happy for Peralta that he was able to sign this deal. It's a five-year, $15.5 million contract. There's a couple option years uh, there at the end that could uh, increase the value of the contract as well. Uh, he gets financial security, and he talked about being able to you know, call his mom and, and tell her about uh, just the-, the money that he was going to make. And really, he's he's set up now. He and his family set up now, and this is life-changing kind of money. And I've, I've seen some out there, and he even admitted that his agent advised him not to sign the contract because he's maybe leaving more money on the table later on. And I get that. I, I'm somebody who wants to see players get paid as, as much as they possibly can generally. I'm I'm I, I fall on the side and maybe not so much some of these guys who are, you know, every year we have two or three guys who get just the the, the big huge mega contracts. Uh, I'm not that those are kind of outliers to me. That those are anomalies. I'm talking about just the the standard major league baseball player. I want to see those guys make as much money as they possibly could make over the course of their careers. And there's some in the industry that have been critical of Peralta for signing this deal because they feel like he left money on the table. He you know, he's he got his arbitration years bought out. There's still those option years at the back of the contract, and I I get all of that. Like I I understand completely where people are coming from when they say that, but this is someone who just signed a deal, and. He's going. He is set now. He is going to be, barring something crazy happening and barring not being a uh, not being, I guess, a good steward of the money. His family is set, and that's a really important thing for him to be able to have. And he's a young enough guy that even if the two option years are still picked up, he still has at least one more opportunity to potentially sign a big contract later on. Now. 
if he goes on and plays really well and uh, just kind of really turns into the, the player that, especially this time last year, we thought he was going to turn into, did he leave money on the table? Yeah, he absolutely did. But there's no guarantee of that happening, especially with pitchers where at any moment you could throw a pitch and you could have an injury happen. Just the the the, way, the fickle nature of baseball, where careers do not go that long. There there's some gambling here, you know. But he's and there's some risk that he's leaving a lot of money on the table. But what he did was he chose financial security over kind of the gamble that he is going to be somebody that was going to make a ton of money once he was able to go to arbitration and then eventually become a free agent. And now that's delayed a little bit. I get it. I, I understand it. I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his family. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with him this year. The the winter ball stuff was just so promising in terms of him uh, being able to use other pitches and kind of profile out as a starter. Last season, I'd kind of given up on him as a starter. I thought his stuff was going to be – it just profiled out as a guy who was going to be a relief pitcher. And maybe that's still going to happen. We're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. Uh, I've always said, though, you can go back to old podcasts. You can find me saying this. It's, it's on record. I always thought that Peralta's best – was the best of the best for the Brewers, especially in terms of starting pitching. When he was on, he was the best. The problem was consistency issues. He wasn't always there, and with the uh, limited number of pitches that he was throwing, at times it certainly uh, seemed like if if one pitch isn't working, well, that can turn into a really rough day. But really happy for Freddie Peralta. I think it's a great story. It's a cool story. He's able to create uh, financial stability for his family uh, moving forward, and if you're criticizing him about signing this deal because he's potentially leaving some money on the table, I I don't like that criticism. I understand kind of the concept of it, but I just don't like that criticism because, A, he's still going to have an opportunity. If everything goes great in his career, he's still going to have an opportunity to cash out later on. And, B, to me, financial flexibility or financial stability, I should say, is worth more than the big payday. So he doesn't have to worry about that, and uh, we'll see uh, We'll see how everything plays out moving forward. But this might be a trend. This is a, a big conversation that was had this past week is, are the Brewers going to get into this mode now of trying to extend some of their own players, buying out arbitration years, that sort of thing. And it, it certainly makes sense. Sometimes you can get guys for a little bit less money over the long, you know, for the entire duration of the contract by buying out arbitration years and paying them a little bit more during the arbitration years or paying them a little bit more under the club control years. You pay a little bit more then and over the long term of the contract, you might be able to save a little bit more money. So uh, again, something to kind of keep an eye on with uh, David Stearns as uh, this team and we, everything continues to move forward to see whether or not that is going to be something that deck does continue on. All right, uh, this week, Tim Muma is our future guest on our social media conversation. So let's get to it. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers x the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Right now, we are very happy to uh, begin our social media conversation by uh, bringing in Tim Muma. He is a contributor at Brew Crew Ball. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore M-U-M-A. Tim, it's been too long. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Appreciate you having me on again. 
Uh, want to get you kind of some general thoughts from you on, on spring training so far. It seems like some of the big storylines so far, the Orlando RC is bad in what he's been able to do. Uh, Logan yep. Morrison has looked all right. Corbin Burns has looked really good. We'll get into all those things, but uh, is one of those items or is it something else that maybe is the biggest thing that has stuck out so far since spring training has gotten underway? I mean, as you said, the RC, I think, pops uh, right away, but I guess it's kind of those things where you feel like you've been burned so many times by him or you think he's turning that corner uh, or you think he's really going to you know, find his swing and find his niche with the team. So, uh, I don't know. For me, it, it really is Corbin Burns. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, it's something in my own brain or my own heart that just I see his stuff. I see his competitive fire, even in spring training. You know, he gets fired up with, uh, you know, with his outing and um, it just he just looks so good. And you can't give up on a, a talent like that. And he has proven it a little bit in the past. Um, and the danger, as you know, and, and many fans know, is just, it's still spring, and you don't really know what's real, what's not. Um, you know, there's some things from his outing that look terrific, and the other part's like, well, he's only hitting certain spots again, or uh, you know, maybe he's not climbing the ladder enough. Like that was the issue with him, uh, you know, last year giving up the, the gopher ball. And uh, but there's just something about you know having that type of dynamic arm that. You still feel, you know, he was a top prospect, you know, kind of moved through the system kind of quickly. He had that great, uh, you know, run as a reliever in 2018. Uh, expectations last year, you know, fell flat on his face for the most part. Um, I mean, his K rate was, was huge, but the home runs just he just sunk him. Um, so there's something about that talent and, and still the youth and, and seeing that, again, you know, spring training is about having that hope and, and having that, belief that these guys are, are going to fulfill what, the, what you thought their potential was. So uh, that that's really what stands out to me, number one. Um, and in part because the Brewers, too, they don't go out and get, you know, those big-name pitchers. And, and he just has he has the look of what an ace could be if uh, if he's able to continue to develop and, and maybe make those adjustments strategically as much as anything else. Yeah, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast and I'm well, I'm shoulder to shoulder with you on this one. I don't I don't think we could uh we could agree anymore. And I'm not trying to rehash the exact same thing I've said on previous podcasts, but the thing that I just don't understand is He's a he's a pitcher who's still developing, and yeah, he was bad last year. I get it; he was bad. We're not going to mince words. He had a really, really bad season last year. But he's a young guy who's developing. I don't understand how people can go from thinking that this guy is a future ace to this guy shouldn't even be in the organization over the course right. of one year for a young guy. Like I. Guys have bad years. The development process yep. is not always a linear line. There's there's peaks and valleys. So I it, it confuses me why he's the guy that people seem to jump off on. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And usually, the exact phrase I was thinking of it, it's not linear when it comes to development. You know, I, I may be just as guilty as anybody else of you know whether you're playing a, a video game or uh, some kind of sim uh, game where. Yeah, a guy develops, and each year he's incrementally getting better, and then he finally reaches that peak. But, you know, it, when push comes to shove, these are still human beings. There are adjustments and readjustments, and, you know, maybe one year, yeah, just something is just not clicking with you. Or, um, you know, I, I, and it's getting to be an older example now, and I'm not going to ever say that he's going to become someone like Cliff Lee, but there's a guy who was sent down to the minors after he was establishing himself, and then came back and was was an ace. I mean, a, a true ace again. And, and so it, it it's 
it's not an easy thing to figure out. And, um, you know, obviously fans are in general going to be a little jumpy when it comes to that. Well, oh, this guy's amazing. Now he's a bad year. Oh, he's awful. Get rid of him. Let's find the next guy. Uh, that just doesn't work that way. And obviously the Brewers and most organizations are smarter than that. They're going to give guys those chances. That's why you create depth. That's why they want to have guys who have options so you can move guys up and down, uh, you know, from the minors and back up to the big leagues. Um, so, I guess when push comes to shove, just look at the ability, look at the numbers, especially from, you know, a uh, more of the, the metric side and, you know, his spin rate and, and that sort of thing uh, to see that it's there and you don't give up on that and you have him under team control. You can, you can do what you need to with him. If you want to start him in the minors, you want to put him back in the bullpen. Um, but I think that is one thing that's a challenge for a lot of people, especially when you feel like you're in a competitive window is if a guy's not contributing right now, you got to find the next thing, and that's just that's not the way a successful organization runs. So, thankfully, the Brewers, at least it appears, um, you know, again, Willie Peralta, I keep doing that. Freddie Peralta, another example of that same thing. Just you got to stick with these guys, especially young pitchers, because it's just you really don't know how long it might take for them to, to find that uh, that secret. Uh, formula, if you will. You mentioned, you know, maybe starting the year at AAA. I think that makes a lot of sense for him. He yeah. he, he had such a hard, you know, the, the struggles last year were not at the big league, not just at the big league level. When he got sent down, he was not successful at the minor league level either. So yeah. I, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do their job, but if I'm if I'm sitting there running things, I I send him back to the minors and I let him have some success at, at AAA before I think about having him in the big leagues again. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, and again, that's, I think, part of why they did get some of these veterans, you know, even like a Brett Anderson, to make sure that you have arms that can at least be, if nothing else, serviceable in the starting rotation uh, and give Burns maybe that opportunity to uh, find it a little bit, again, in the minors. and Or if, you know, an injury happens, and sometimes these things work themselves out before you even have to make a decision. But uh, I, do, I do think that was more of their plan this year. And Let's have all these spots filled, and if guys need to get pushed into duty or they really do stand out, then we'll make that move. Instead of saying, hey, these are these young guys, we're going with them, and hopefully it works, because unfortunately last year it, it really blew up on them. You dropped in one of my favorite lines of things always work out, because I, I can't tell you how often we, we yep. hear from people during the season, well, this guy's due to come off the injured list in four days. What are they going to do? It always works out. It just... Yep. Something always happens. They find an injury. There is an actual, like, whatever it is, it always works out. <laughs> Just, yep, totally, totally true. Yes. Um, all right, let's talk about Orlando RC a little bit. And I, I think what you said is something really important for fans to remember because this is a guy who, throughout his Brewers tenure, has shown amazing flashes, has gone into slumps, the team has had to challenge him. Sometimes they challenged him by sending him down to AAA. Sometimes they challenged him by putting him on the bench. Uh, sometimes they challenged by, you know, talking about him in the uh, in press conferences and, and kind of calling him mm-hmm. out a little bit. I mean, they've they've challenged him in every way that you can possibly challenge a guy. And to his credit, he's consistently answered those challenges. The problem is. You want some consistency. You don't want this to be a situation where it takes one of those drastic measures to to get him going every time he goes into a slump. And they challenged him again this off season when they brought in Luis Urias. And I know he's not going to be available right. right at the beginning of the season. But the question that I'm asking myself is: Okay, is this is this bat that we're seeing from Orlando Arcia? Is this the new Orlando Arcia, or is this just another case of him answering a challenge? But there's a there's a shelf life on it. 
Well, and that's part of why I uh, I said uh, recently on Twitter that he's he's one of the biggest teases of the Brewers in the last you know decade, two decades, because of all the promise and again having that label of being a top prospect, as you said, showing the flashes. You know, I mean, highly touted, obviously as a defender, but there was some hope that. Uh, the bat would come around at least to a point where it was it was playable on an everyday basis, and um, you know again it, it's one of those things where him getting called up at a younger age and being pressed into duty did that impact him negatively? Was it too soon? Too much? Um, is this as you said? Is this a new Arcia because he kind of has nothing to lose at this point? It looked like he wasn't going to have a starting job, and now he might to start the season. Uh, you, you just don't know how those those mental things might play a role. Uh, again, as much as I love numbers, and uh, sometimes maybe we get too reliant on them, we forget that you know, humans react in different ways, and, and there's no measurement for it. So that's why maybe it's you know, people don't want to talk about it as much. Uh, but you, you never know what what that might do as far as the development goes. Uh, maybe it was too much pressure for him, and now he doesn't feel it, the pressure as far as being the guy, so he can just go out and play. Uh, again. It's just spring training, and you hate to say that, and you always want a guy to be successful. I mean, I'd rather a guy be hitting 400 than 100 and, you know, hitting a bunch of bombs. But, uh, you know, it's a small sample. It's not necessarily against all the best pitchers. It's, uh, you know, maybe it's just one of those hot streaks and it happens to be right now. I mean, I feel, uh, I don't know, looking at the numbers, I felt like Travis Shaw had a really good spring last year, and that was a guy who was coming off of a couple of really good seasons and, you know, obviously didn't translate to the regular season. So, you know, it, it's such a challenge, and I don't. I guess I, I'm a little gun shy on RCA just because it kept feeling like, okay, now it's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. Oh, all this playoff run, 2018, he's totally going to break out in 2019. It, and then the defense seemed to suffer, and maybe that was because he was getting frustrated with his offense. So I'm not going to try to predict what he's going to do this year. I, I truly believe the Brewers are really looking at. Um, I don't even want to say platoons and matchups. I think they're going to be they're going to be doing a ton of stuff when it comes to scouting pitchers and who's the right matchup and who's playing shortstop that day or third base or second base. So I'm not sure he's going to get that regular time barring injury. But um, you know, I, I do root for the guy. I, I hope he does find it because he's always been touted as kind of on the doorstep. And uh, you know, you like to see a guy be able to reach that potential. And um, you see it across the league. I think a guy like Javi Baez. Not that it's a, a you know an A to A comparison there, but uh, I feel like it took him a little while to really find it, and uh, and then he did and became an MVP candidate. So it remains to be seen. I'm not trying to put a damper on what RC is doing. It's just I think it's guarded optimism because we've kind of been through this at different points of his career the last three four years. The the one area where. I kind of think maybe there's a possibility it's real. Is yeah, if he's just coming to camp and he's playing well and everything, and there's nothing more to it, and he kind of looks the same, then I, I have this sense that okay, is this just another of what we've seen? The, the flashes, the fact that he's talked about how he's worked with the hitting coaches, they've really changed mm-hmm. up his swing a little bit. To me, okay, maybe there's something different there. May, you know, that's a. That's a cause and effect sort of deal where maybe there is something there where if it is the new Orlando RC, if there is going to be some offensive consistency, it's not just because, oh, boom, all of a sudden it's there. It's because they worked on something and there's a new swing. Again, everything, we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen, but at least there's something of substance there. Yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, sometimes we don't hear about that or, you know, get that behind the scenes look and, uh, the best players do make those adjustments when they're struggling or when they've reached a point where, like, 
okay, this may have gotten me here, but it's not working anymore. So, um, you know, I, I think as a fan, really, that's all you can hope for is that guys continue to work at it and, and put in the time and um, try to figure out what works best for them. And uh, I agree with what you're saying that I think you can see, at least casually, you can see small differences in the swing. Um, I Trying to get to the ball a little bit sooner, having his bat, I think, be in the zone a little bit longer. Um, so hopefully that is a consistent thing that he was able to, to change and adjust, uh, whether or not he can do it for the long run and when you're facing, you know, the regular season type of schedule and pitching, as you said, it remains to be seen, but, uh, you know, I, I, there's nothing wrong with being hopeful and I think he'll, he'll definitely get the opportunity, especially the way that the Brewers have constructed their roster. One of the guys who's played well here recently and, not a lot of people thought much about the signing when it happened, but he's. I, I loved a comment that he made to the media uh, where he said that you know he feels like when he's at his best, he he's an all star, and that's Logan Morrison. And the the Brewers are probably gonna play Ryan Braun a lot at first base. Obviously, they went and got Justin Smoke as the roster is presented right now. I don't know if there's really a place for Logan Morrison, but if he continues to play the way he's been playing the last few days, that certainly makes uh, for an interesting uh, discussion and decision by Craig Council and company. Yeah, it kind of it has a feel almost of uh, you know almost like a Aguilar fame situation. Obviously, it's a little different because Smoke's strong side is the left side and Morrison does it on the the left side, but. Um, it kind of feels like you said, if, if he plays consistently well, at least he has some track record. Uh, and now it feels like, um, you know, 2013 or 2014 was when you felt, oh, that that's when you wanted Logan Morrison. It's, it's past that time, and he, he had, I know, last year was a rough year. Um, but I, I get a little bit of a sense that, you know, the Brewers have some options with players where uh, you have the extra guy, obviously, this year with the 26-man uh, active roster. Uh, maybe they find a spot for him if they think it makes sense, if they think he's going to be a contributor either at first base or as a pinch hitter um, playing foul field. You know, um, I could see them trying to make it work, depending on how everything else breaks, uh, you know, when they break uh, spring training here. I obviously have a, a few weeks with that, so lots of things can change. Um, it's one of those things, I think, for the Brewers that they're not just going to look at it from a short term, what's going to help us for the next two weeks, three weeks, if they think, all right, we can store some talent uh, down at the minor leagues, we'll give give him a shot in the big leagues for you know maybe two, three weeks, see how things shake out. If he's a contributor, then you stick with it. Uh, I, I don't think the Brewers ever close the door on anything. I think they're very open to finding a way to make it work. If, if you can add talent to the big league roster, if you can help your team win two extra games in a month, I mean, that, that does carry a lot of weight, so... I didn't expect anything from him when he came over. I said it was kind of an under the radar signing. It was like, okay, great, you know, another veteran, give him a shot. Um, but sometimes that does pan out, even if it's for one year. You, know, you think of a guy like uh, Niger Morgan, who, um, you know, he had that one great season, and then you know the next year was he kind of was an afterthought, and then he was gone. But he was really important in that playoff run in 2011. So. You never know how it's going to work out, and, and uh, it, it never hurts to have a veteran in there who's been kind of around the block, and if he fits in with the clubhouse and he gives you a little bit of something that you think uh, a young guy can't or, or just one of your other options doesn't, you give him a shot, you roll the dice. If it doesn't pan out, then, then you cut bait. They extend Freddie Peralta this past week and uh, buy out his arbitration years. There's a couple of option years thrown at the end of the deal uh, where he could make some pretty good money. He openly talked about the fact that his agent didn't want him to sign that deal, but he looked at mm-hmm. it as, as an opportunity to uh, – 
provide financial stability for him and his family for for the rest of his life. And there's something to be said for that. Uh, he's he's still a young guy, so even though it's a it's a fairly long contract, if both option years are picked up, he still would have another opportunity for a big contract uh, later on uh, in his career. I I like the signing. I don't know what Peralta's role is going to be. The idea that he you know the fact that he was throwing more pitches in the uh, in winter league makes him an interesting mm-hmm. guy in terms of being a starter. I'd kind of given up on him as a starter and thought he was just going to be a relief pitcher, and I'm coming back around on it. But there's a lot there, and, and it, it's a move that seems to make sense for all parties involved. Yeah, I really I really love the move. I think, um, you know, again, from Peralta's perspective, I, I can definitely appreciate the, the security side of it, and and knowing nothing's a guarantee, it's not like he's lit the world on fire when it comes to the big league level. So it makes a ton of sense from that. And I get the agent doing his job and trying to look out, look out for him. Uh, but it, it does seem to make sense. So from the Bruce perspective, you are really betting on his potential. And I know it's a dangerous word, but I think, like you said, what they saw in winter ball, uh, with the flashes that he's shown, whether it be as a starter or in the bullpen. I mean, if, you, if you're paying a guy, you know, you could be paying a guy $8 million if he's that good in the bullpen. Uh, $8 million a year is kind of nothing at this point. So it seems like a really low-risk uh, you know, option for the Brewers and, and making sure, yes, he's going to be under team control anyway, but you have, that, uh, you know, you have the, the knowledge of what you're going to be paying him. There's not the uncertainty there. So I think that's huge from the financial standpoint. And maybe that's part of them leaving a uh, little extra money uh, you know, left to spend and not going out and necessarily buying a bunch of free agents or, or going after some of the higher price guys, it gives them the flexibility to do something like this where, again, they're not looking at just for this year. They're looking at it down the road and how it's going to help them both from a talent standpoint and financially. And, you know, if, if Peralta figures it out or puts it together consistently or he continues kind of the run he's been on in the winter league and then even in spring, the, the way he started off here, um, whether as a starter or uh, you know a shutdown multiple inning reliever, I mean that's that's tremendous value, and, and you can't you know you you would never have any problem with paying that amount uh, for that kind of talent. So uh, another situation where I think the Brewers are just really smart in general about what they're doing with their roster. I still wish they would have signed re-signed Grandel, of course, but again, this might have opened up an opportunity for them to look at more of a, a long-term um, kind of plan. And uh, if he can turn into, again, like close to a top of the rotation guy or a top bullpen guy, he's locked in at a good price and uh, maybe it relaxes him too and he can really take off because he's not worried about the money anymore. Yeah, anybody who listens to this podcast regularly knows that I'm very kind of pro player when it comes to contract situations. I want to see guys get paid a lot of money and I don't don't love the way the offseason was the last two years before this past Mm -hmm. year. That's where I stand on things. But on the other side of it, you know, I, I always remember John Singleton with the Astros who signed that big contract when he was still in the yeah. minor leagues, and he just got mm-hmm. destroyed by the industry when he signed that contract because people were saying, you know, here's this prospect who is taking, who's buying out all his arbitration years. He's leaving so much money on the table. Well, the guy got barely played in the big leagues. He was a, he, he was a bust, and he was set for life money-wise. Now he had some off-field stuff and some drug issues and things like that, but the point being is, you know, no Nobody was 
that that criticism that existed when he signed the deal. Well, if he doesn't sign that deal, he's not set for life. I think I, I wonder there, there was all those rumors a few years ago that Jonathan VR was offered a contract after his breakout year and that he elected mm-hmm. not to sign it. I, if there, there's been different things said whether or not the contract was actually offered, but if it was, you have to wonder with VR if he regrets not signing that deal. So I think sometimes because there's the potential for a big contract, I, I feel like people in the industry feel like a guy shouldn't sign a contract that could potentially be below market value, where at the same time, I, just having that peace of mind, that is worth right. something. It's a, there's a lot of shades of gray in this conversation. And that's what I think the big part is. I, I mean, there are so many different factors. I mean, the age of the person, the, you know, the perceived ability level, um, maybe their what they think their role is going to be with an organization. Um, and, and really the fact that pitcher versus position player, I mean, everybody knows as a pitcher, you're, you're one throw away from, from some serious damage to your arm. And then where do you go from there? Uh, you might bounce back. I mean, you have a better opportunity not to bounce back with the, with the medicine and technology and the, the surgeries. Um, but maybe you never you never regain that form. I mean, you think of a guy like Jimmy Nelson who continues to struggle now, you know, with the Dodgers organization, and he had already gotten some contracts and he's getting paid well. But what if that happens earlier in his career and he, he doesn't get to that point? So, uh, and I completely understand what you're saying with with the uh, you know with being pro player and you know you don't want to believe that organizations are trying to take advantage of a situation and, and getting a guy at below market value for a number of years. Uh, but there's a give and take with that, and like I said, I think as a as a pitcher, and he's still, you know, he's still young. Um, there's a chance still for that big payday, but you're already saying, okay, if I can get this paycheck right now, and I blow out my arm in a year, you know, heaven forbid that would happen because nobody wants that. At least you're set, and even if you have to fight back, and you have to then later sign a bunch of minor minor league deals or or uh, you know minimum wage deals. Um, you still already had that big payday, and if you manage that well, uh, you're going to be fine. So, um, yeah, I, I think again in this case, it, it seems to make a lot of sense. Peralta has shown those flashes, but he hasn't he hasn't necessarily broken out yet. And if he does, okay, I might feel like he left some on the table. But then in a few years, as you said, those options they they pick those up, or if he ends up being a free agent, um, you know, he still has plenty of opportunity to make some more money. So I, I think it is a good deal all around. I really do. Let me uh, let me finish you off with this. Just as there, there's still a few weeks here in spring training, what when you you know look at the box score every day or watch the game, what what are the things that are concerning you? What are the things that are that, that you're really keeping a close eye on right now? I think as far as keeping a close eye on, uh, it's really how they're going to manage their the offensive production from third base and shortstop in particular, especially depending on, you know, Urias and when he comes back and, uh, you know, how how impactful he will be when he does come back, whether it's because of the injury or just, you know, because of his ability level isn't quite there yet. Uh, just, you know, it's, it's in a way it's nice to see some guys that are more contact guys and, and maybe on base guys, but you do wonder on a consistent basis if they're going to be able to score runs um, in that regard. So I think it, it's, it's watching to me, it's watching the lineups and watching these guys perform at shortstop and third base. Um, you know, like Eric Sogard, for example, he's made a couple of, to me, rough plays at third base that, that seem pretty routine for a, a natural third baseman, whereas he strikes me more as, you know, second base and even some shortstop. 
Um, you know, they've been playing Brock Holt at shortstop, you know, quite a bit. I, I think trying to get a, a longer look at him to see if that's going to work out. Uh, because again, they want that flexibility. They want to be able to play matchups and uh, he can be a valuable bat, especially against right-handers. So uh, that that's really what I'm looking at. You know, it's hard to look at stats and know what to believe. It's, it's hard sometimes even to, to see a pitcher, what he brings to the table because he might be working on something or he might be, um, you know, just focusing on one pitch versus another, um, so that, that's really as far as the Brewers go. I mean, the pitching, I think they have a lot of guys they could possibly go to, and that'll, that'll work itself out. So um, it's, it's where is the offense coming from and how are they going to manage that uh, specifically at third base and shortstop because I think that, that remains to be seen right now. Uh, and it really are a lot of question marks as far as any certainty of how it's going to pan out. I'm so intrigued by just – how they went all in, kind of the the idea of the positionless baseball and the, the, all yep. the platoons yep. and the yeah we're we're gonna put twenty six guys in a pot and we feel like we can get this value out of them and it doesn't matter that this guy is playing at third base and he's not gonna hit many home runs like it's just it this is a really intriguing year for me I'm every day that goes by I get more excited just about the fact that I'm really curious how this is gonna work out because they have so gone all in on a very different way of looking at things and i think they have to in a way uh if, if they didn't you know if they didn't see the opportunity to, to make big splashes uh and, and i think it's interesting too that most of these guys are on a one-year deal or two-year deal or one year with an option um but yeah i i i agree to that it's very fascinating and i think part of it is it's really putting the onus on council as a manager and i think they really trust him to be able to make it work whether it's the personalities uh whether it's you know making sure guys are okay with sort of this up and down playing time. And, and uh, again, also just selecting those matchups that they think is going to be best. Uh, I think I heard you on one of your shows or podcasts mentioning, you know, the sum of the parts being greater than the whole. And that's, that's exactly what I keep going back to in my head where, well, okay, you don't have the third baseman, but combined what's, what's the value of all the third baseman and what are they going to do with the outfield and how they mix and match Kane and Braun out there and Braun to first base and smoke. So I think there's almost, it's almost fun. I mean, I always look forward to when the lineup gets posted every day. I mean, it's something I, I try to find as quickly as possible when it comes out. And I think it's, it's going to be that way every single day this year. I don't know that they'll have the same lineup more than five times all season. Not that they've ever been stuck with that uh, with council, but uh, I think it's going to be fun to see. And, and if something starts sticking or clicking, do they, do they go with that or do they stick to their original plan of, you know, finding those matchups and, um, you know, it, hopefully it all, all, obviously from our perspective, it all works out in a positive manner, but uh, one way or the other, I think it, it will be fun to watch. We should do an over under on how many different lineups they have uh, <laughs> during the course of the year. That's going to drive the traditionalist crazy. And I, I kind of see myself as old school, but as far as lineups go, I mean, there's some things I definitely like, but uh, I, yeah, I, that's a good, good question out of the 162. I mean, Boy, I maybe next time we talk, I'll I'll have a, a breakdown for you to to figure out what that might be. But I I I hate this. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's in the like one twenties. And I don't know if that's high or low without looking at it. But it sounds like a lot. That of seems lines, high. But. Yeah, I because even I, I'm telling you though. Look at all. I mean, look at all the guys they might bring up and down. And I yeah, I you're you're right. I may be being a little over the top with it, but. Uh, but even seven, be, like seventy, would be a ton. Seventy would be a ton, and I think that's to me that's probably what it's going to be. I don't know, but yeah, we'll talk yeah, about I, that more next time. I guess it depends on how we how we consider a lineup because 
if uh, if Yelich is in, in or if Garcia is in center versus right, that constitutes as a different lineup, right? Even if they're in the same yeah. batting order, so. You know, I guess it depends on how you want. Either way, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be different all the time, unless for some reason, uh, you know, one of those spots with a, a platoon kind of look, uh, you know, a guy just busts out and, and never stops all year, um, which would be a great you know great positive, but uh, it's, it's hard to see that happen. I mean, if if it was seventy, there's a scenario where you could have seventy different lineups, and over the course of a season, you would never have the same lineup uh, more than three times. That's not going to happen. Well, there you go. But that, I mean, that <laughs> that's yeah. All right, Tim, great stuff. Uh, we encourage uh, everybody to follow you on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma M U M A. Of course, uh, you are part of the uh, crew, a contributor over at uh, Brew Crew Ball, and uh, we appreciate everything that uh, everybody does at Brew Crew Ball as well. Thanks so much for your time. We'll uh, we'll talk again real soon. Yeah, thank you. Uh, always a pleasure, and uh, yeah, can't wait for the season to start. Tim Muma joining us here on this week's edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Here's on with the Brewers this upcoming week as we are into the month of March, which means we're into the month uh, where uh, the Brewers are going to be opening up their regular season in the rest of uh, Major League Baseball. Technically, no game going on on Monday, March 2nd. However, there are some players that they wanted to get some work, so they kind of have a uh, an unofficial game going on, I believe, against the White Sox on uh, Monday. Uh, and it's just something to be able to help get guys work, especially some pitchers who they want to keep on a schedule. Tuesday, they'll match up against the Padres. Wednesday, they'll be back in Maryville against the White Sox officially. Thursday, they'll take on the Reds. Friday, Giants. Saturday, Rangers. And then Sunday, they'll have split squad games against the A's and the Angels. The broadcast schedule on the radio this week. Tuesday, the matchup in Peoria against San Diego. That game is going to be heard on 94.5 ESPN. The Wednesday game against the White Sox will be on WTMJ with a 155 broadcast. Friday against San Francisco and Maryville, 155 broadcast on WTMJ. Saturday against Texas and Maryville, 155 broadcast on WTMJ. And then Sunday against the Angels in Maryville, a 255 broadcast on 94.5 ESPN. You can hear and see the entire spring training broadcast schedule and see which games are going to be on WTMJ and which games are going to be on 94.5 ESPN by heading to WTMJ.com. My thanks to uh, Tim Muma for joining us. My thanks to you for being tuned in. And we look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.